I'm still waiting for him to introduce me. He always introduces me. He just walked away this morning, but I guess. And now you have fancy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. The earliest Christians greeted one another with those words. How we ought to recapture that custom today. For there are no more electric words in all of literature than the words, He is risen. Hallelujah. Easter is the most joyful day of the year, and well it ought to be. For Easter was the first day of a new creation. All the old has passed away. Through the resurrection, everything is new. When George Frederick Handel wrote the oratorio Messiah, he covered, he encompassed the entire nature and life of Christ. All of it came together in one great affirmation of the Hallelujah Chorus. So overpowering, so overwhelming in fact, that when King George heard it at its being played for the first time, he spontaneously rose to his feet and since then we always stand for the Hallelujah Chorus. It's usually at Christmas that we sing the Hallelujah Chorus. But Handel wrote the Hallelujah Chorus just before the words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. This is a joyful day. For we can affirm those life-changing words. Because He lives, we won't even die. But joyful is not the word that described it in the beginning. The day following the crucifixion of Jesus was the Sabbath day. And that was a day of rejoicing for the losers who thought they were winners. Annas and Caiaphas came to the temple on the Sabbath, their faces beaming with smiles we are rid of that usurper. He threatened us at every quarter of who we are and what we stand for. For three years we have trailed him about, we have dogged him, trying to still his voice. And we were unable to do it. But now we've done it. We killed him. He's dead. We never hear of him again. It was a joyful day for Annas and Caiaphas on that Sabbath day. And it was a glorious day for Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was put in a very difficult situation because he knew that there were many who followed Jesus. He was aware of what had taken place on Palm Sunday when the crowds came together shouting his praises. If such were to be ignited on this day, how could he control them? He was fearful of what might happen. He knew that Jesus was innocent. How do you condemn an innocent man to death and live with it? 
he wanted to compromise. The Jews were unwilling to compromise. He knew the power of the Jewish authorities in reporting him to Rome if he did not stand behind what they had decreed must be done. And so for hours, he vacillated as to what he ought to do to settle this problem. His wife came to him and said, be careful what you do, I had a dream. And so he did the cowardly thing. He washed his hands. I'll take neither side, he said. Do what you wish to do. And then he stepped out of the picture. It was a happy day for Pontius Pilate because he had survived a great crisis. And so it was a day of joy for the losers who thought they were winners. But in the upper room, a place where they had gathered with our Lord prior to his crucifixion, there was no joy there. It was a day of heaviness, desolation, darkness. Darkness had covered the earth from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock on the day of the crucifixion. It was God hiding his face from that terrible scene upon which he dared not look as no father would want to look upon the pain and suffering of his son such as that. The sun came out at the time of his death. But for the followers of Jesus, there was no sunshine. The darkness that enveloped the earth had now enveloped their hearts and minds. They were in a darkness unlike anything they had known before. And now they were huddled together in the upper room. They didn't want to be there. They wished they could leave that horrible city of Jerusalem where it had all taken place. But they couldn't because it was a Sabbath day and you can't travel on the Sabbath. They couldn't go back to Galilee, a place that they were familiar with, a place of their upbringing, a place of their youth. They were marooned in a hostile city, fearful to go outside themselves for fear they would be arrested that they would be crucified as well. No joy there. On that day, the winners were the losers. Outside the temple on that day, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea stood. They couldn't go in the temple. They were unclean. They had taken the body of Christ after he had died and they had placed it in its burial place. Had they not done it, who would have? No one was there prepared to do so. The disciples had all hidden. They had run in fear when they came to arrest Jesus and they dared not show their face thereafter. And so Jesus was taken down from the cross by the soldiers. Who was to claim them? The women were there. But it was hardly a thing for the women to do to prepare a man for burial. There were two men who sat in the Sanhedrin when he was brought up to trial. Both men def defended him against the charges that had been made. You see, they had encountered Jesus individually before and they had become followers of the way that Jesus had taught. 
They were secretive about it because of their status in the Sanhedrin among their friends, but they came out of their secret places to prepare his body for burial. And the cost of that preparation was that they became unclean. One of the most rigorous laws of the Hebrew faith was that if you touched the dead body, you became unclean. And that's why when pilgrims were to come into the city of Jerusalem on holy days, they would whitewash the sepulchers to ward them off for fear that they might come upon a dead body and become unclean and could not go into the temple. Jesus even described the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, unclean. And so the two who were willing to stand up on that day out of all became unclean in what they had done, could not even worship on the Sabbath day. It was a strange day, this Sabbath following the crucifixion. Simon, a pilgrim from Serene who was an innocent bystander, had been forced to carry the cross when Jesus stumbled under the weight of it. How he must have muttered under his breath, if only I had not carried it, perhaps he would have died under the weight of it and would have been spared all that suffering. Did I become a part of his suffering too because I preserved his strength so that he could suffer? No one escaped the tentacles of what happened on Good Friday. Two men died that day. Judas died. Judas betrayed Jesus. When he realized what he had done, he repented. Judas did the most honorable thing that a person can do to undo a wrong. He repented from having done it. If only he could have repented in the presence of Jesus and saw a smile across Jesus' face and say, that's all right, I forgive you. You see, Jesus would have because that's exactly what he did to the centurion and the others who actually took his life. They didn't even ask for forgiveness. They were guilty of the deed without any awareness of the wrong in which they had done. But Jesus did not want that guilt to remain upon them. And from the cross, he looked down upon these huddled men, they who did not know they were doing a wrong, they who would never ask for forgiveness. And he said, in a breath that was fast fading, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they've done. Don't let them wear the guilt of having done it. We watched the robe last night at our house. It's a tradition, a fictional story about the centurion who won Jesus' robe and bore the guilt of what he had done. But through the touching of the robe and the mingling with those who were with Jesus, he found the forgiveness that Judas did not find. Judas hanged himself. To his credit, 
How could he live the rest of his life knowing the terrible thing that he had done? He would rather die and never think of it again than to carry the weight of that grief. But had he not died, he could have lived. That's what Easter was all about. Men like Judas living. It was a quiet day in the upper room. Historians have called it Silent Saturday. It was anything but silent in the hearts and in the minds of those who were the friends of Jesus. Thomas said, we're all cowards. We ran when they came to arrest him. Do you remember when he came to Jerusalem how I said on that day, let us go with him and die with him? How proud I was when I spoke those words. How courageous I was when I made that affirmation. But I fled with all the rest of you. Did he depend upon us to stand beside him as we said we would? I said, let us go with him so that we can die. But we didn't. We ran. His memory of us is seeing our backs disappear under cover of darkness. Peter was more grief-stricken than any. Peter said, I followed from a distance to see what was going to happen. I was detected as I was waiting to see what the end of the trial would be. Three different persons identified me as being one of his followers, and I denied it. I said, I don't know who he is. I'm no follower of his. And finally, the coarse days of my life upon the sea came to the surface. And I even cursed to relieve myself from being identified with him. And then he looked at me. The pain in his eyes when he knew that the one who had at least followed from afar had refused to even acknowledge that he knew him. <clears throat> At least Judas led the soldiers to Jesus, kissed him on the cheek, and called him Master. I did something worse. I said, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. One can never dream the depth of pain in the heart of Peter that day as they waited for the Sabbath to end. Back in Bethany, Mary and Martha, who are close friends of Jesus, tried to console one another by saying, remember how he wept when he came and we told him that our brother had died? If only we could weep for him as he wept for us. If only Lazarus could bring him out of the tomb as he brought Lazarus out of the tomb. But there's nothing we can do. He did for us. But there's nothing we can do for him. The day was filled with pain and hurt. His mother was most silent of all. The deepest pain is never expressed. 
it's too deep, beyond tears, beyond words. She remembered as a little boy how he would run to her whenever he had a problem. If he stubbed his toe or mashed his thumb, it was to her he came and a kiss would heal it. She watched him grow up and she remembered the day that he lost himself in the temple, renouncing them to some degree by saying, I have a father that I must be more loyal to than even you. And for three years, she had gotten word of things that took place. She saw miracles happen. But nothing prepared her for this. In 1980, I attended the Passion Play at Oberammergau. The most electric moment in that whole presentation, if you have been there, you know that moment. Mary is standing alone in the deserted streets of Jerusalem, and she hears a commotion, and she looks, and here comes soldiers marching down the street, and there, bound in their midst, was her son, being carried away to his death. She cried out, My son, my son. She spoke those words in German, but in any language it was the cry of a mother who stood helplessly while her son was being taken to his place of execution. It was a dark day. No rejoicing that day. And the day drew on and the pain increased. Sleep didn't come that night. They were restless that on the morrow they would go back to Galilee. Peter said, I don't nothing else to do but to go back to fishing. That's what I left when he came. I'll go back and fish the seas once more. The dream has perished. The bubble has burst. And the night hours drew on. But not far from that upper room where they were all caught up in grief, suddenly there was a flash of light, there was a rumbling, there was a shifting of the earth. And then inside a cave where Jesus' body had been lain, there was a stirring, a body pronounced dead from the death on the cross bound in burial spices, shifted his weight, stood upon the floor, stretched his arms, breathed the air of the fresh garden. The stone had been rolled away. Light came into that dark place. And he who had died walked out into the open air just before dawn. Mary and some of the women wanting to do last rites for the one they loved, came to the garden. It was at dawn. There's nothing like the greeting of dawn to put a new step into one's life, a hope and a desire. The sun rising over the horizon and bringing light to a world that has rested in darkness, but especially at springtime when the flowers are beginning to bloom and the grass is getting green. The dew of the night had planted diamonds upon all the bushes and upon the ground. And as Mary walked through that wonderland of beauty, the air brushed by her cheek and she heard the sounding of the birds. And the grief lifted from her heart. 
because she was able to do something at last to prepare the one she loved. She thought as she walked, he taught me how to love. I was a woman filled with demons, despised by everyone, fallen from society, and he cleansed me. He gave me a new life. He taught me how to love, and he showed me how to accept his love. And she walked just to be able to see him, even though he were dead, would to give her reassurance. And suddenly she saw that a light was pouring out of the tomb and there the boulder had been rolled away and seated upon that boulder was a figure of a man in white. And she rushed up, looked in and saw that it was empty and she turned to the man and said, Where is he? And he said to her, He's not here. He is risen. Those electrifying words spoken for the first time in history, but never to be stilled from that moment on because they would be the words by which men and women and children would live. From that day forward, he has risen. She wept, hoping yet fearing to hope, and then she heard a voice a voice that she had heard so many times and every time that she had heard it before it gave a lift to her spirits. She turned and saw a figure of a man but unwilling to believe that it might be the one she loved. She blurted out the words whether they were meaningful words or just impetuous words. Where have you taken his body? And when he said, Mary, she knew. Master, she wept with joy. The tears that she had stored up to weep in grief. And he said simply, go tell your friends and mine to go on back to Galilee and I'll meet them there. the most electrifying day in all history. For when that stone rolled away from the tomb and the darkness was filled with light, it was God saying all over again, let there be light. And there was light. A new light had come into the world and would penetrate the souls and the hearts of all who are willing to say, Lord and Master of my life. That's what happened. But what meaning does that have for us? Because he stood up and walked out of that tomb, he validated everything that he had said, everything that he had done. No need to doubt now whether he could feed thousands or walk on water, whether he could cause the sick to be well, the lame to walk, the blind to see. No matter, he had validated it by his own resurrection. It dwarfed everything that he had done and it made valid all that he had done. He had proven by his own resurrection.
That's what Easter means to us. And Easter means that in that moment, the power of sin was broken. Prior to the resurrection, we live by the law. The law interpreted sin and convicted us because of our inability to live above the law and sin. Grace flowed into the world and broke the power of sin. That's what Easter means to us. We who fell from grace when Eve took the apple and took a bite and for every generation hence either inherited that sin or committed sins early of their own that separated us from God. In this moment, we were reconciled to God. We were back in His grace and He said, even though you cannot be worthy by your own deed because of what my Son has done, you are worthy and you are reconciled and you are at peace with me. That's what Easter means. Easter means that we'll never die. Our lives, our bodies had a beginning. They were conceived by our parents. Not meant to last for all eternity, meant for only a brief period of time. And with the passing of years, the body ages and begins to take on the signs of wearing out and becoming obsolete. That's going to happen. Nothing we can do to stop that. <clears throat> but because of Easter, the body falls away to give freedom to the spirit and the life. We who are our true selves are no longer bound by our bodies because our spirit is created by God and it never dies at the moment of death. We are freed for the fuller life yet. It was said of Lazarus on days he would weep because he had been called back from paradise. Because of Easter we don't have to die. We will live forever. There were many who came to the garden that day but there was one who was there all the while, one who never left, and that was God himself. God was in that darkened tomb, for God was in Christ. It was God vindicated as well on that day. I sent my son. He didn't fail. His death, his resurrection, has given me back all my children. Easter says, we are now God's family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. <laughs>